Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 14 and then part of chapter 15. Title of our study is Be Different. In Hebrew, the word translated holy has this idea of being set apart, being dedicated, or being different. God calls his people to be holy as he is holy. And sometimes we think that holy is by our behavior, what we're doing, what we're not doing. But real holiness is the holy presence of God in our lives, producing that obedience to God's word, which ultimately conforms us to be more in line with his character. And so if we're set apart for God's use, we're following after the Lord, we're going to look different from non-Christians. And I know that's a mind-blowing thought, right? <laughs> that Christians would look different from non-Christians. But there should be some sort of difference in us. And we'll take a look at different sections of that today. We'll look uh, that we're, we're to be grieving differently, we're to be eating differently, we're to be giving differently, and the last thing, we're to be forgiving differently. And so the world has its way of doing these things, and God has a way for us uh, to do things differently. And so we'll see that God had something directly for Israel, and we'll see there's principles for us that we can apply in our lives as well. So with that, Deuteronomy chapter 14, we'll look at the first two verses together. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. We'll pause there. We see that Israel was commanded that when they mourn, they don't follow the ways of the world and and. We mourn over profound loss, such as death or a loved one that's involved in a crippling accident. Um, we mourn over our own sins from our failures, our mistakes. We mourn over the loss of life. We're watching those we love choose to live a life, walking away and running away from the Lord, making bad choices. So pain and suffering and grief are part of the human experience. It hasn't always been that way that came through the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Life was perfect, right? Things were great, and only they not rebelled against the Lord. So when we see suffering, when we see hardships, we can either let that make us bitter towards the Lord, and we can blame God, why would you let this happen, God? Or we can allow it to make us better in our faith. Where else am I gonna go to find hope? Where else am I gonna go to find strength than in the Lord? To know that he's got a plan, I don't fully understand it. And I think the principle that we can take away from here is that among Christians today, there's something wrong if we're following the customs and the rituals of the world. I can't speak for everyone, but the funerals that I have attended um, with non-believers, there's usually alcohol involved and there's deep sorrow. It's like 
they, they get stuck. They don't know how to move forward. And they just become depressed and hopeless. And they kind of become a, a man of constant sorrow, you could say. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's a nice way of saying those who have died. Lest you sorrow with others who have no hope. So we may certainly pass the morning of a loved one, but we have eternal hope in Jesus Christ. So we should be different in the way that we grieve from the world. Yes, we're still going to grieve, but we're not turning to the things of the world to try and numb the pain or, or to help us through those circumstances. We turn to the Lord. We find comfort and fellowship with others. And we don't fully understand, again, why God allows things to happen. But we look forward to the day, as it said in Revelation 7, 17. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So loss in this world is real and impacts us, but we know that God is ultimately going to be wiping away sin, wiping away the destruction of the consequences from the fall in the Garden of Eden. Everything's going to be perfect again in heaven. And that's where we can find our real hope, is looking to the Lord. So we don't have to live in bitterness or gloom. We can live in hope of eternal life, which God promised. And our present experience will give way to the goodness of God and the joy in his presence forevermore. Now that's not to discount that we're going to have times of grief. There are processes to go through grieving, but we don't stay stuck on that forever. Right? Our hope is in the Lord. And as we are comforted by Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 1, we can then use that comfort to help others. We can help offer them the same comfort that God helped us with. We can walk with them through their tragedies and their sorrows and help them in the Lord. So God's reminding his people they're to grieve differently. And now we see here in, in verse 2 the Hebrew word holy. And again, that's translated uh, that which is set apart. Warren Wiersbe said it, it means marked off. That which is different or holy other. He says our English word holy comes from the Old English word meaning to be whole or to be healthy. What health and wholeness are to the body, holiness is to the inner person. And so because Israel was called to be a holy people, they were not to imitate the practices of the wicked nations around them. They were called to, to be holy unto the Lord. And, and the pagan nations, the, the neighbors that were around them, when somebody died, they would cut their bodies in honor of them. And and they would shave their foreheads in mourning, and, and I don't know, I don't get that part. Um, I still don't understand the, during Luther's time why they would kind of shave a little circle on the top of their head. I don't know. But then again, I lived through parts of the 90s, and people had weird haircuts then too. So um, people have different ways to express grieving, I guess. But we see that, that God wants us to follow his way. It reminds us of Romans chapter 12 verse 2 that says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to, to live in a way that we follow after his pattern for our, our life, that we are living in a way that we desire to conform and be transformed as we're, our mind is in the word of God, that the spirit of God is changing us from the inside out. And so we should be s separate from the defilement of the world, we should seek to be set apart in our mind and our heart for the Lord. And so God's people are to be set apart or different so we can show by our fruit the glorious virtues of the Lord.
And holiness results in a right relationship with God. It's got to start there. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then trying to seek holiness is in vain. We must first make sure that we're born again, as it says in John chapter 3, that, that we have this, this new life from above, that God's Spirit has come to take residence within us, that we're, we're children of God, right? That we've turned from our lifestyle of living for self and after sin, and we've decided to, we're going to follow Christ. We believe that he died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead, that, that we're going to walk with him now, we're going to pursue him. And so Christ sets us apart from the world. And then as believers, we live a life daily set apart from the way the world is. We're not trying to blend in, right? We're not a secret agent Christian, right? I'm, I'm undercover for Christ, and I'm going to blend in to everyone else. And, but when it really matters, then I'll pull up my badge and show you I'm a Christian. No, we, we live our life for Christ 24-7, right? Who we are at one place should be who we are at the next place, right? If I run into you at the grocery store, it should be the same person, not like, oh, um, I'll go put that away. I don't want you seeing I was going to buy that. Right? It should be the same person 24-7. And so we should be living according to God's word as we study the Bible and grow in it. And, and that will kind of spring us, board us into the rest of this chapter as well, that God has called us to, to live in a way that we do things differently. And uh, we'll see part of that here in uh, verse 3 through verse 21 about eating differently. It says here in verse 3, you shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, the mountain sheep. You may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split in two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, the rocks, hydrix, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean to you. Also the swine or pig is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves and yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh nor touch their dead carcasses. Verse 9, these you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat it. It is unclean for you. All the clean birds you may eat. But these you shall not eat, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, the kite after their kinds, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, the hawk after its, their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carron vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, uh, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. Verse 21. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who's within your gates that he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. We'll pause there. This section begins dealing with the distinction of what was clean and what was unclean for the children of Israel to eat. We've talked about this a bit in Leviticus. Um, but the reality was this command wasn't new for them. This was something they had uh, given to them. We see this even in Genesis chapter 7. Uh, as Noah was preparing to uh, make preparations on the ark, there were clean and there were unclean animals, right? They were told to have 
two pairs of animals, and then for certain clean animals, they would have seven. And so they'd already been handed this down most likely from, um, from Adam and Eve of knowing what was clean and what was unclean. So these dietary laws were to apply to the Israelites. And as I was just reviewing them, uh, you, again, you don't have to tell me not to eat bats. There's no temptation in me to eat a bat. And I was thinking about this even with the stork. Like, well, if you eat the stork, well, who's going to deliver the baby animals, right? You, you can't do that. That's just wrong. So, no, but the purpose of this was uh, to protect the people as well. And we know pork and other types of, of animals, there's various diseases that go with those animals if they're not properly cooked. And, um, and so God wanted to protect his people in that sense. It also mentions the hair, which I found interesting looking at the Hebrew word here. The hair is not a bunny rabbit. It's, it's some other creature, possibly extinct, um, and so we see that there were, there were animals that they were to eat and animals they were not to eat. Again, in Moses' day, there were no microscopes. There were no understanding of pathogens and, and those kind of things. And yet, um, the cultural norm was to eat raw meat or undercooked meat. And so God's protecting his people from a lot of the health problems that the other nations were inflicting upon themselves now, in Mark chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. He talked about defilement. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a person that defiles them. And then later, God gave uh, the apostle Peter this vision in, in Acts chapter 10 of this big sheet or this big curtain being let down, and all these different kind of animals are on it. And, and, and God told Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. And then he said that three times, and Finally, then Peter began to realize, okay, maybe I should listen to the Lord. <laughs> and he begins to see there was the physical application, but there was also spiritual application about Jews and Gentiles being allowed to, uh, to have fellowship together. So God's reminding them um, that he's called them to be different. Again, it's not necessarily what's in the food. It's that he's calling them to live a life different from the other nations. And you could go back and look at Adam and, and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't that there was something wrong in the fruit that they ate. It wasn't something that the fruit suddenly uh, caused them uh, to be sinners. It was that they disobeyed God, right? That disobedience is what caused the failure. Um, and so that's what he's reminding the people of here is, is that it's, it's the disobedience for them um, that would cause them to, to end up on the short end of the stick of God's blessings. Now, we're in the new covenant of grace, and as I took a look at this, um, and what God has to say about us consuming food, I found that it's more concerned about how much we eat than necessarily what kind of foods we eat, um, although there is a little bit of that. And so if we're unable to control our impulses and our eating habits, we're probably unable to control other parts of our life as well. Maybe those things of our mind, looking at things we shouldn't be looking at, coveting things that other people have, having unrighteous anger or hatred towards people. Um, and there are people that have difficulty keeping their mouths closed and spreading gossip or starting strife. He said, she said kind of things. Um, the Bible talks a lot about that as well. So as Christians, we don't want to let our appetites control us. Um, 
We want to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be able to be in subject to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19 reminds us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That means we're to do what we can to take care of these bodies. Um, and it's interesting if you, if you go back and you look at historical times uh, when kings would feast, um, they would compare their size of their bellies with other kings. That was a sign that you were well off, right? So if you had enough food and your provision, you had a good size uh, torso, <laughs> then they thought, well, obviously this king's doing well in his kingdom. He's got food to spare and he's eating. Um, but we see God's concern with, with how we take care of ourselves and how we eat. And so there's another interesting dietary law that might have been connected here some way and that God didn't want his people to participate in, in animals that were involved in pagan worship. Um, and we see that here in verse 21, there's this strange admonition that says, boiling a kid in its mother's milk. Um, what's interesting is Orthodox Jews take this literally, and then they take it in a, in a strange direction. They say uh, that you cannot have milk and meat together at a meal. Because they say you don't know if the meat in your hamburger could have come from the calf that gave the milk for the cheese. And then as you digest it, it would boil together in your stomach. And so, God forbid that you should, you should disobey by doing that uh, and violate this command. Uh, I think that's a stretch of what God is saying here. And, but you know what? No one asked me, so apparently Orthodox Jews continue to do it. But um, their, their meat is kosher. If you get to go to Israel and eat, and eat hamburger there or, or eat uh, uh, beef or or whatever, uh, lamb and, and all kinds of stuff they've got there. Even got ven um, venison and uh, the fish there is good. So God gives us food and he does so to the creatures of the animal kingdom. And the earth has been created to produce all kinds of food that's full of vitamins and nutrition, minerals, amino acids the body needs to survive. Uh, God wants us to be healthy. And so food is a gift from God. It's his provision for us. Now, we all have different likes and dislikes. As I was reading again here, and it was talking about the creatures in the waters that have fins and scales and the ones that don't, don't eat. Hey, that's good for me. I, I'm not a fan of some of the things in the ocean that people want to eat, like octopus and squid and, and those kind of things. Um, nope, no interest for me. Uh, but some people really like that. Hey, go for it. God bless you. Um, so we see it's his provision for us. And, and we also need to recognize that our diet needs to be balanced, needs to be nutritious. If we just ate fast food and junk food all the time, as, as the phrase is, you are what you eat, we're gonna begin to be unhealthy. We're gonna begin to suffer the consequences from that. And so the, the best foods that we find are whole foods, unprocessed foods that have the most nutrition because they come right from the earth. They're, they get as close as you can without man altering things. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can search online. You can search for genetically modified food. Um, and there's some stuff that's kind of, kind of scary where they've taken like um, parts of the DNA from frogs and their skin and they've injected part of that with tomatoes so the tomato skin doesn't um, sever as easily so it can hold up. And you're thinking, what? Why would you do that? Well, if you're packing 
hundreds and hundreds of tomatoes together, you wouldn't want them to be all smashed and then you know, you just have tomato paste, right, or tomato sauce. So there's some weird modifications that, that these companies are doing. Again, if you want to grow a garden or if you want to eat healthy, it's sometimes it's best to try and, and get as close as you can um, to the foods that are right from the earth. So obedience to God and health, we see, brings blessings, and that's what he wanted for his people. Well, next in verse 22 through 29, we see God also calls them to uh, give differently. And we'll pick up that here in verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. A tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and of your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. We see that God instructed his people to give a tithe, and, uh, and that the, it says here that they may fear the Lord their God always. And so Israel was, was commanded to give this, um, the word tithe in Hebrew means a tenth. So that's where that term 10% comes from, connected to a tithe. It's not something that the church made up or someone made up. It literally means a tenth. So now you know another Hebrew word. Uh, tithe means a tenth. And we see that it was also to be used for the Levites. They had no land. They had no inheritance. It was to be used for the stranger. It says also the fatherless and the widow who are within the city gates. God desired that the people who had nothing could be still taken care of um, by the religious leaders. And so God desired them to come and eat and be satisfied, to be able to, to give um, back to those that needed help in the community. And as a church, that's our desire too. We want to be able to, to give back to those in the community. We support five local organizations. We support five global organizations. Um, we don't want it just to be about us. And so at Calvary Chapel, we believe in the biblical principle of tithes and offerings. A tithe is that 10% and offerings anything above that, uh, extra that goes beyond that. Yet I will say this at the same time, we do not hold to the law that you must give 10% or else you're in trouble, right? God's looking at our heart. And it's really more of a heart issue than a financial one. It should be done because you want to give not because someone's forcing you to give, because then you, it's like you have to give in order to get God's blessings. And that's, that's not the truth. 
2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes, purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's, in a nutshell, how we view tithing. That's how we view giving here. People can give as the Lord puts it on their heart to give. We don't pass the collection plates. And I've shared this before. My wife and I are in California. We were in college at the time, and we went and visited a church. And they were doing a, uh, an offering, taking a collection for a missions trip. And at the time, I thought I was rich. I had 20 bucks in my wallet. So I pulled it out. I'm like, I'm going to give that to the missions group. I thought, awesome, they're going to go and have a great time evangelizing and reaching people for the Lord. And, and they're like, okay, and now we're going to take up our general collection for our church. And so they pass it again, and I'm like, I don't have anything. And everyone's looking at us like, well, aren't you going to put something in? I'm like, I just gave it all to the missionaries. I don't have anything left. And it was this really weird feeling like the pressure's on you to give. I was like compulsion, and I'm like, God, do you know my heart? <laughs> I just gave it all for the missions thing. And, and we see that that's what God desires. He desires it be from the heart. No comparison, no games. Um, and that he would, he'd want us to do it as stewards unto the Lord. And so tithing and giving are good for us. God doesn't need it. He owns everything. He does it because it's good for us to learn how to be generous, to learn how to be givers, Right? God so loved the world that he gave. God's the most generous of all. And he wants to teach us how to be generous and how to give. And I'll share this as, with, with you guys. As, as our family, we tithe, we give to this local church as well. Um, so we can help more people find Christ and grow in Christ. Um, there's a few different things that I've learned when giving. First is praying, asking God for wisdom on, on what that would look like and how I can use what I have financially for the Lord. Uh, the second is serving, see how I can help and be the hands and feet of Christ and ministering to others within the body of Christ and find a way that I can do something. Um, and then third, uh, give. And I've learned to make that the first line item in my monthly budget is that, Lord, I'm just going to be faithful because you're so faithful for me. And, and again, it's, it's, it's a more of a spiritual topic than a financial one. So it's not about the money. It's about the heart. And, and if you're a parent, you know this, right? When you have kids and you tell the one to share with the other, and they say, no, it's mine. You're like, come on. You need to learn <laughs> to be generous, to share, right? And that's hard. It's hard for kids to learn that, and I think sometimes for us as adults, it's hard for us to learn that as well. Like, no, I've worked really hard for this all. It's all mine. And God's like, I'm the one that gave you the strength for that. I'm the one that gave you the wisdom to have a brain so you know how to do that. You know, really, you should be thanking me. <laughs> and so we realize that God wants us to be generous. He wants us to be good stewards. And so it's... It, the whole purpose here of this, this we see is living with the attitude that we've been blessed, so then therefore we can be a blessing to others. And that was God's desire for his people, that they would be a blessing to those within their city gates that needed help, right? And so God gives us sometimes more than we need so we can help those who are in need. 
Well, next we'll take a look at the first part here of chapter 15. We'll look at the first 11 verses about forgiving differently. And we'll talk a little bit about debt. Um, and so we'll take a look at that here in chapter 15, picking up in verse 1. It says, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not be required of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it become a sin among you. You shall surely give to him in your heart. You sh should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all the works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and to your needy, in your land. We see here that God had set up this principle, this command for Israel that every six years they had these, these debts, but when the seventh year came, there was a release from debts. There was a cancellation of the debts. And so there was no long-term debt in the land of Israel. Um, money could never be borrowed or owed for more than six years. So there were no 30-year mortgages in Israel. There were no 20-year student loans. No one was crying out, cancel our debts, please. We want all our debts taken out. Um, so God established this economic system where, where no one had to be chronically poor, right? That people could be taken care of. And, and the nation was able to, uh, to live out this principle and, and, um, as they replaced their faith in the Lord. God's telling the people if they would obey him, he would bless them with the opportunity to prosper. And if Israel obeyed as a nation, they would be prosperous among the other nations, blessed more than the other nations. They would lend to the other nations and come out ahead. In fact, even if you take a look today, Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, is, is one of the least amount of debts than the other nations. Um, you can look at the U.S. debt. It is staggering. In fact, there's even websites of that calculate how much debt we're continuing to go into, um, it's, it's a little bit crazy. And so we realize that 
the more a nation owes other nations, the less likely they are going to be able to pay that off and really have influence. And so we see the cancellation of the debts every seven years was for those that were working to, to pay back what they agreed on, right, this loan. So there was a calculated amount in this repayment plan of six years knowing that max timeline, how much they were going to be paying back as they're working for it. We see that God is, is reminding the people that through this law, some might be discouraged to lend to the poor, but he's encouraging them, be generous, lend to them. And the reality is, there may come a time in your life where you need help, and you need someone to, to help you and, and, and to be generous to you. And so he's reminding them to be generous to those in need because there could be a season where they're in need and they need something. And so the world, we see, doesn't operate this way. The world operates in a way to forgive as long as they get something in return, right? Or to be forgiven without real remorse and sorrow for what they did, right? They just want things erased and then continue on in that lifestyle, Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so this forgiveness of debt is a picture, not only what Christ has done for us, but what he's called for us to do to one another. And, and you don't have to wait seven years to forgive someone. You can forgive them that same moment that they do something to offend you. You can, you can, you can seek that forgiveness and that restoration or reconciliation. So God desires there to be forgiveness among the brethren. And maybe somebody borrowed something from you and hasn't returned it. Hey, let it go. Forgive. Move forward. Don't hold on to that. We don't need to wait seven years thinking about it, wondering if they're going to finally uh, repay that back, right? And the truth is, if we think about the amount of debt that Jesus paid for us, knowing that we could never repay him back, we realize the amazing grace that God shows us in our lives, the amount that he loves us and has forgiven us differently than anyone else can ever forgive. So in closing, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 through 15 says, And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Bible makes it clear that sin is what hinders the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not going to take place if we're holding on to sin, if we're not allowing to bring that to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And the obedience to God allows the Spirit to work freedom within us, to empower us to be His hands and His feet. And to be filled with the Spirit implies that God's controlling every area of our lives, that we're yielding our lives to Him. We're allowing Him to guide us, to control us, to impact the way that we operate our day. And the power can be seen through, through our life as we live differently from the way of the world, right? Not that we're called to be odd, but we're called to be different. We're called to live a life that looks like Christ, to live a life that glorifies him. And back in the day, many people were called Jesus freaks, right? Because they looked a little bit strange. They looked a little bit different. They weren't following the cultural norms of the world. And, and, and there's going to start happening soon where people are going to say, oh, you're one of those people. 
oh, okay. Well, we're just trying to follow Christ, right? And people can say we look different. That's fine. We should be more concerned with what the Lord thinks about us, right? And so that needs to be our focus, that he's called us to be separate and to, and to live a life different uh, unto him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the reminder here this morning that you've called us to live our lives differently. And Lord, we know we can't do it on our own. There's no possible human way we can live a life that looks even like a sliver of yours. It's only through the power of your Holy Spirit changing and transforming our hearts and our lives, transforming us to become more like you from the inside out. So God, we ask that if there is sin in our hearts, if there's sin in our lives, if there are things that we have not dealt with, that we will lay them down at the cross and allow you, Lord, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to heal us, to restore us, and make us whole, make us spiritually healthy. And Lord, then you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, empower us to, to love and to live a life like you, to live a life different from those in this world, that people would see that we're your disciples by the way that we live, by the way that we love one another. And God, we pray if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't yet to make that decision, or perhaps they're watching online and they need to give their life to you, we pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation. And if that's you and you would say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me, I need to get right with God. I need my sins to be forgiven. I need that debt to be erased, to be canceled. I can't do it on my own. And I, I'm going to trust in what Christ has done for me. If that's you and you're ready to make the decision this morning, I simply want to lead you in a prayer where you make that decision of faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner that my sin separates me from you. I believe, God, that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that he was buried and rose from the grave. Lord, please forgive me of all my sins as I surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you and put your Holy Spirit within me that I may do your will. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being my Savior and my Lord. And thank you for being my closest friend. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Christ or rededication, let me know. We'd love to pray with you, give you some resources if you don't have it, give you a Bible if you need one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Mulder of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. 
Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries, check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study His Word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Life to you I give shout from the inside.